When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome back to episode six of the Penscast here on April 24th, 2023. Another Monday episode per usual. Just this time, there's not a lot to talk about in regards to the pens. Maybe you haven't noticed, but it's been eerily quiet around the city in terms of hockey because our team missed. We made a great episode last week discussing the season and kind of towing, uh, tying a bow. Jeez Louise, already tying a bow on the season. And I had Brian Metzer of Penguins Radio Network on. I had Mason Strawn, my former intern with the Penguins on to discuss it all and also try to make some predictions moving forward. I thought this week we would have heard more about the Penguins general manager search, but that was not to be. It was very quiet on that front. I do believe Rob Rossi, uh, I don't know if he put in an article, but I know he tweeted it out, that basically from what he was hearing, there was little to no movement or at least uh, any any official anything really to put put down into an article about the Penguins GM search. I think they're still looking. I think they're probably still compiling their list. I think also a lot of what they want to do depends on what happens in the first round specifically, because the two of the names that were brought to the attention uh, immediately after the firing of Ron Hextall were Eric Tolsky, the assistant general manager of the Carolina Hurricanes. And to a much larger extent, Kyle Dubas, the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And as it stands right now, we're going to get into uh, kind of a where we are in the playoffs uh, in a second here. But in regards to those two, both of their teams are leading their series. Toronto's up 2-1 over Tampa. Game four is tonight. And Carolina has a commanding 3-1 lead over the New York Islanders. And they will look to finish that off tomorrow night at 7 p.m. in Raleigh. So... Those two may take a while if the Penguins want to wait and and interview them because <clears throat> you can't interview them mid-playoff run. So, And that's kind of what I was touching on last episode too is that a lot of what the Penguins and the Hexagon episode, which, by, by the way, can we just talk about how great of a title that was? I don't know who came up with that, <clears throat> me, but um, that was just fantastic creative work, really award-winning uh, production there on my end. Nonetheless, I made a big stink about that, about how I think it's being under-talked about that the Penguins' GM search depends so much, I think, on what happens in this first round. Because if you have to wait to talk to your number one and two candidate until 
another two week, two three weeks from now when round two's over, or if those teams even go further, maybe round three or the final, you're wasting precious time where you need to be preparing for the draft, preparing for free agency, talk, talking to your guys that you have that are pending UFAs, seeing if you want to bring them back in, such as, as I, I discussed with Mets last episode, Jason Zucker's of the big one. Tristan Jari is another big one. What do they do there? That's such a question mark looming over the Penguins offseason. We really need to see what the Penguins plan to do there. Uh, and soon, I think the Penguins do need to make some decisions here. So maybe if those teams move on, they start moving down the list. They start looking at candidate number three, four, five. I, I think there's a lot of people on the list. I don't think it's exclusive to, you know, just old school hockey men. I don't think it's exclusive to analytics people either. I think that they're compiling a diverse field. And Mets talked about it last, oh, excuse me, episode about how they could be looking, since Fenway is a very forward thinking uh, ownership group, they could be looking at other sports. They could be looking at women. They could be looking at people of color, people that haven't had these, you know, executive chairs before, but they may still be able to uh, do the job and just haven't been given an opportunity yet. So I think the field is wide open right now, but I think the people that we're speculating upon, that they, they may not be around for the first round of interviews. So maybe... We tone it down with the Kyle Dubas rhetoric here in Pittsburgh. Uh, we're going to get into, he had a, an incident with some uh, Tampa Bay Lightning fans during Game 3 down in Tampa Bay. We're going to get into that in a little bit. But first, I want to talk about the just basically the playoffs so far. It's been amazing. It's been a great first round. I think there's so many, no series is over yet. Uh, I think that can end tonight or tomorrow, I believe. Um I don't think Carolina plays. I, I I just said it, but I I got the memory of a frog here. Um, yeah, so no team can win tonight. But tonight we have Toronto, Tampa at seven thirty, game four in Tampa Bay, with the Leafs up two to one. They, if with a win tonight, they can make take a commanding three one lead uh, back home into into Toronto and then finish it off there if they're able to. The New York Rangers are up 2-1 over the New Jersey Devils, and they play Game 4 tonight in Madison Square Garden at 7 o'clock puck drop. The Vegas Golden Knights and Winnipeg Jets also play later tonight at 9.30. Golden Knights have a 2-1 lead. Game 4 tonight will be played in Winnipeg. And the late, the late, late game is Colorado-Seattle at the Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington. The Colorado Avalanche hold a 2-1 series lead in that one. And then the other day of games, um, the we can literally just look at the next day, is um, there's actually only three on for tomorrow, and that is Islanders-Hurricanes at 7 o'clock, where the Hurricanes uh, will have a chance to finish off the New York Islanders in Game 5. That takes place, like I said, in Raleigh. The Minnesota Wild and Dallas Stars in a crazy series they play at 8 o'clock puck drop <clears throat> Excuse me, in Dallas, Texas, where but one of, one of those teams is going to look to get the advantage, but it's going to be a hard-fought game. It's been a physical series all along, and it's been awesome to watch. One of those teams is going to look to take the lead on Tuesday. And then the later game, LA-Edmonton, 9.30 scheduled puck drop in Edmonton, Alberta. Another series that's just been crazy to watch. Uh, what is the game that's missing there? Is it the Florida Boston, I believe. Yeah, Florida Boston takes an extra day off, and then on Wednesday we have only two games. It's the Florida Boston and then Seattle Colorado again. 
So I'd like to, first I want to look just at a broad scope of things and I want to talk about these series, not too in depth. But then I think since it is the Pens cast, it's only right we talk about some former Penguins that are performing in these playoffs. I think a lot of people in Penguin Nation have a lot of uh, love for their former players that move on. And I think it's only worth mentioning. Yeah, I think it's definitely worth mentioning how those guys have been performing as they chase another ring. A lot of those guys have already won uh, rings with the Penguins previously and are now looking to add to their collection. Starting out, I'll start out east. That seems to be the natural progression. I mean, the sun follows that same path. Boston, Florida. Like I said, Boston has a 3-1 lead over the Florida Panthers. I didn't think Florida would be able to win any games here. I thought, I, I'm, I believe in my prediction, I may have put a sweep just because of how highly I think of the Boston Bruins. They've held their own to an extent. They've been very physical, the Florida Panthers. They've, they have matched, I think, the Boston's physicality. The problem is just, I think, sheer talent. And they did put Sergei Bobrovsky in last game uh, in lieu of Alex Lyon. That didn't work out too well for them, but I, I'm gonna. I, we're gonna talk about awards, um, you know, MVP and all that for the regular season at the end of this episode. And one of the guys I talk about in that conversation is Matthew Kachuk, and I think he's he is really proving that in this series because he has put the team on his back offensively, at least. He is every anytime I look at a game. I, like at the box, I'm not watching all all of these games, but anytime I look at the box score for this series in particular, it's usually like like three or it's like two, three, four Boston goals to one Florida goal, or two Florida goals. The goals are always from Matthew Kachuk. That guy, I I'd love to see his percentage of goals that he's contributed to um, this regular season for the Florida Panthers. That guy is a one man. He, he's putting the team literally on his back. If the Florida Panthers have any chance to make up some ground here and make this a more competitive series, it's going to be because of Matthew Kachuk. He's played an incredible series. He's very physical. He tried to fight Linus Allmark for God's sakes last, uh, last game. That is a very contentious, very physical series, <clears throat> excuse me, happening between Sunrise and Boston. But... Boston's going to win. I truly I really believe that. But I do want to give kudos to Matthew Kachuk because he's playing one hell of a series. I really would like to see him be able to make a long playoff run. He was supposed to last year with the Calgary Flames, but they got stunned in the second round by the Edmonton Oilers. And obviously that offseason, he was dealt to Florida for Huberto, Uyghur, and all that. Not all the praise needs to go to the loser. I think Boston has just played very, very well. Even without their captain, they've done this all without Patrice Berger on their top line center. It goes to show you how deep the talent really runs in on the Bruins. Tyler Bertuzzi has played a great series. He hasn't had the chance to play playoff hockey as he's been in Detroit for his entire career. He's kind of looked like a mini Marshand out there, and I don't think that's a stretch, and I think that's something that he would admit to you, I think Marshan even had a quote where he came out and said, he was like, oh yeah, he's, he's making me look better, which <clears throat> is the case, definitely. Tyler Bertuzzi is being a, he's being a prick out there, but that's, he's paid to do it. He's doing a great job at it. He's a perfect Boston Bruin, and I'm very curious because he's a pending UFA. He was a trade deadline acquisition. I wonder if they're able to somehow hold on to him. 
because he is a Boston Bruin. I think even if he does move on this offseason, don't be surprised at some point further down in his career if when things change, he could become a Boston Bruin again. He is the pinnacle of Boston Bruin hockey. He looks so good in that jersey. He fits that mold perfectly. So, But I still am curious if they're going to try to do something to bring him back, especially if like there's a lot of money coming off the book in Boston, but they but that just means they have a lot of guys they have to re-sign to. So maybe there's something there they want to bring him back. I don't know. But he's not the only one. Olmark's been great. He's been fantastic. And he, he played sick, I believe, the first two games. There was some flu going around the Bruins uh, locker room. And he's still, he's been fantastic. He is, like I said, we're talking about awards. I'll get to him with when we talk about the Vesna. But he has been just as good this playoff as he was in the regular season. Next series, quickly, Toronto, Tampa. Everyone knew this one would be tight, and it's funny because of the first two games, I believe the combined goal differential was something like 10. <laughs> like Tampa crushed Toronto game one. Toronto crushed Tampa game two. So it's only natural game three goes to overtime. Uh, it did good overtime, right? It was Morgan Riley. Yeah, Morgan Riley got the overtime winner. Um, and earlier in the game, because this, this game happened in, in Tampa, was... Um, Morgan Riley pushed Braden Point uh, down as they were, you know, racing for a puck. And Braden Point fell really weird and was injured and went back. And then that's when, the, bring back the tease, Kyle Dubas was recorded uh, screaming at, well, screaming at slash with Tampa Bay Lightning fans. It seemed like it was a mutual argument. It wasn't just him just like ragging on fans, obviously. And let's be honest, the fans definitely started it because. Yeah, they're fans, fanatics. So, very, very contentious series. It's gone back and forth and back and forth. Ultimately, I put in my bracket, I thought Tampa was going to win. They've been without like some of their defenders. They, I think I don't know if Cernak's playing this game. I know uh, Hedman's been in and out. I'm very curious to see what happens there, but without like some of their top defenders, and they're already, they traded McDonough last year and everything. They are a more depleted team than they have ever been, this Tampa Bay Lightning team. They are probably the least deep out of all of the runs that they've made. Toronto is a very, very good team. I could easily see them making the second round here. But just I, there's something about Tampa I still believe in. And <clears throat> the selfish part of me wants the Penguins to hire Kyle Dubas. So if Tampa could eliminate... Toronto that would make that quicker and more likely but yeah that's been a great series so far all these series have been except maybe this one Carolina and the Islanders it is a 3-1 series lead for Carolina it's it's not that it hasn't been a great series it's just it's very boring it's what you would expect between those two teams those teams those two are very defensively responsible very trappy like you know they don't let a lot of offense happen it's a lot of dump and chase and try to grab it and they're not really <clears throat> you're going to be skating you up and down the uh, rink, either of those two teams, or putting up you know five, six, seven goals in a game. They've, game one was the pinnacle of that. It was a very low-scoring game. It was like 3-2 or 2-1. Or it was very low, very tight series um, throughout, but that game in particular. And just out of all the series, I think everyone kind of agrees that that's been the one that's just kind of not as exciting to watch. There's definitely still some physicality and everything, but... I think everyone realistically expects Carolina to finish this off. I know there are people that going into the playoffs 
did underestimated the Carolina Hurricanes and didn't think that they'd be able to win anything. I am very high on Carolina, and there's a reason that they were the first seed in the Metro this regular season. They play a very complete game from top to bottom. I think they're very good. If you were playing the NHL video games, excuse me, they are a team full of 85s up and down. I don't know that to be true. I'm just saying from what they look like when they're on the ice. So that no one is, maybe Sebastian Ajo, um, but no one is, you know, far and away the best player on that team. They're just so deep. And anytime you throw a line against them, like they're going to be line matched. They're, they're like Rob Bindemore is a great coach. And I think he really, that's why they're so good at home in, in playoff games. Their home record's insane because he is such, he's able to line match so well. And also, it helps that the Islanders play a similar game, A, and B, don't have a ton of offensive prowess. I know Barzal's back. They acquired Horvat. He hasn't done much at all this uh, playoffs. But I think Carolina has the best chance in this series, like I predicted in my bracket, and they are just one win away from moving on to round two. One of the... I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think the least competitive series, which is crazy because they're only up by one uh, one game, has been the Rangers-Devils. The last uh, series we're going to talk about in the East, the Rangers have a 2-1 lead, but they have been dominating, in my opinion. The New Jersey Devils, I thought that their speed would... I thought they'd be able to skate circles around the Rangers, to be honest with you. I thought that they'd be really <clears throat> uh, good in that regard, but... The Rangers have just looked like a wagon and they look like the team that like they have the experience that they do. Like they're proving that they have been here before and they know how to win playoff games. Chris Kreider quietly became the most uh, became the player in the in Rangers history with the most playoff goals, which is crazy to me with how many great players have come in and out of uh, Manhattan. But Igor has been good. Can't say the same about the Devils goaltending. I think uh, Vanacek has been all right. He hasn't been great, but then they had to put Akira Schmid in last game. I, I don't trust the New Jersey Devils goaltending as much, but I think they're a very good team. I think they're playing way below what they can play, and the Rangers are playing at, they're excelling uh, over what they're, uh, like in some of their parts, they're playing so well right now. But uh, I still think the Rangers are going to pull this out. It would take some kind of massive change and uh, for the Devils to come back in the series, in my opinion. And if that does happen, I mean, give Lindy Ruff the, the Jack Adams, even though I know that Jack Adams isn't a playoff trophy. It's a regular season trophy like the rest of them. But yeah, so that's how I see things in the East. It's been gr- great first round. Let's do, do the West quickly. First series is Colorado-Seattle. I expected Colorado to, you know, handle Seattle very much it's been tight it's been really tight uh Grubauer has been all right I'd say he's been good actually and I think Colorado uh I think they're taking them seriously now but I think game one uh I think starting the series I think Colorado seriously underestimated the the Seattle Kraken the Kraken are a very good very complete team they kind of have that Carolina-itis where there's no no real superstar but there's a lot of like really good players, you know, and they and that's the complete opposite right now of what Colorado has because with all their injuries, <clears throat> excuse me, and the guys that they lost uh, over the offseason from free agency and whatnot, they are very top heavy. 
They don't have a lot of uh, depth down in their bottom six. Where Seattle, they are very full and complete. So that's where they can they can really wear you down and win some games. So I'm not sure who is going to uh, pull pull away with this one. It, I still think Colorado probably does. But Seattle's giving them a run for their money. And don't be surprised if you see Seattle in round two. And Seattle up against one of these other teams in the Central, Dallas or Minnesota, that would be a great series. Let's talk about that one now. I think this is one of two that I think is the best series so far in this first round. Dallas, Minnesota, tied 2-2. I mean, what else did you think was going to happen? I mean, it was obviously going to be those uh, like that tight so physical, so mean. These teams hate each other. There's also so much talent on these two teams. The goaltenders have been fantastic, Gustafson and Ottinger. It has been absolutely mayhem. They've been getting just pelted with shots, and they've done really well in this first series. I have no gauge on how this is going to end. It could end 4-2 for one of these teams, or it can go to Game 7 double overtime. I have no idea. These two teams are so good. If I was putting money on it, I would say Game 7. But stranger things have happened. Mark andre well, we're going to get into him in, in a little bit here. He didn't look good in his game he played. they got to run it with Gustafson. A Gustafson-Ottinger first round. This has been as advertised and then some. It's been a fantastic series, and I can't wait to watch more Dallas-Minnesota. I never thought I'd say that, but that's been a great series to watch. Out in the Pacific... Vegas-Winnipeg rematch of that Western Conference final all those years ago. Vegas has a 2-1 lead, but in a similar vein to Colorado-Seattle, I think Vegas is under may have underappreciated how good Winnipeg is. And and Winnipeg has, you know, I think Morrissey's out for the series, which really sucks. Hellebuck has looked human, uh, especially in the last game. But... I, I'm really impressed with how Winnipeg has played. It's a lot tighter than I expected it to be. Vegas has looked defeatable. They, like you can you can beat Vegas. They're not the juggernaut that they were you know in, in years past. I could see Winnipeg coming back into this, especially if they can tie up the series before they leave Winnipeg and uh, make it a 2-2 series heading back to Nevada. Yeah, Winnipeg is not out of this yet. Do not count Winnipeg out. Losing Morrissey sucks, but... Winnipeg could surprise. I would not be surprised if Winnipeg, like I said, leaves Manitoba with a tied series. Speaking of tied series, this is the other series. It's the last series we're going to talk about, but I, the other one where I think it's been so good. I think it's been the best of the first round, other than maybe the Dallas Minnesota series. Those two are probably, these two series are pretty neck and neck. And like I said, tied 2 2, Edmonton, LA. I thought game four was last night. And Zach Hyman won it in overtime to tie the series. LA had a 3-0 lead. Then Edmonton pulls Stuart Skinner, puts in Jack Campbell, rallies, ties it up, gets it to overtime, and Zach Hyman finishes it off. I thought LA was going to be up 3-1. And I thought it was over for Edmonton. I thought that was the series. You go up 3-1 against uh, the Oilers. You hunkered down for the for the uh, game five and the remaining games. You hunkered down and you do everything in your power with your defensive forwards that you have, and with Deneau and Kopitar, you you staple them to Connor McDavid and Leon Drysidle, and you hope the rest of the team can just cope and hang in there with the rest of the Oilers. But now, tied series. We have a brand new series. It is now a best of three. 
I don't know where this one's going to go. I always, I'm never going to bet against Connor McDavid, although he's looked human in the series, especially in the first couple games. I think he's starting to figure out Kopitar and uh, uh, Deneau. I can't, I forgot his name for a, for a second, but um, yeah, it's been, it's been really good. That's really good hockey there. You have one team that is all around very talented team. I think in LA, I think the co the uh, Jonas Corposalo trade, obviously been wondrous for them. He's been fantastic there. And then you have the team at Edmonton. That's just so, so front heavy, top heavy offensively. They're so good, but, and they've been shut down, but shut down still means dry settles first in playoff points, I believe. And I think McDavid's like fifth, so yeah, you may have been able to neutralize McDavid a little bit, but now his buddy's doing wonders, and McDavid's still like top five. So, I mean, you're doing better than every other team did this season. He got 150 points in the regular season in 82 games. I think he has five points in four games now. So good. I mean, yeah, you got the, you got his pace down a little bit, but man, the rest of the Oilers team is good. Ryan Nugent Hopkins had a 100-point season this year. Zach Hyman had a breakout year. I think 30 goals, something like that. He, like, it's such a good series. There's so much good hockey. And I'm really, I'm going to assume Game 5, Edmonton goes with Campbell. But I'm not sure. Not exactly sure what's going on there um, in that one. We'll have to see and figure that out. But good playoff hockey. Love it. It's been fantastic. Um going to move on quickly and talk about some individual players in the playoffs. More specifically, former Penguins. It's Pens, it's, it is the Pens cast for crying out loud. So, Justin Schultz, defenseman for the Seattle Kraken, former two-time Stanley Cup champion with your Pittsburgh Penguins. Schultz has four points in three games. He is eighth among defensemen. He's not their go-to, really, offensive defenseman. I think uh, Vince Dunn has been their top guy all year, but Justin Schultz through the first three games here for in that series, he's been very good for the Seattle Kraken. He's another one of those guys that's not a superstar, but he's in that like very good to good range where like if you're if he's playing down in your lineup, you're gonna win those matchups. Oh, excuse me. You're gonna win those matchups. He's been pretty good for Seattle. Some other former penguins, um Ian Cole with Tampa Bay. He has two points in three games against Toronto. Phil Kessel of the Vegas Golden Knights has two points in three games. Former, long time ago, former Penguin Jordan Stahl has two points in four games for Carolina. Evan Rodriguez, who has been playing elevated minutes because of some injuries over in Colorado, he has two points in three games against the Kraken. And then Freddie Goudreau, short-time Penguin, but still a Penguin nonetheless, has two points in four games as well for Minnesota against Dallas. And in terms of goalies, there are two former Penguin goalies who have played a playoff game, both for the Minnesota Wild and, of course, because Billy Guerin. Um, and Philip Gustafson has shown that he is far and away the best choice for the Minnesota Wild over Marc-Andre Fleury. Marc-Andre Fleury played one game and has allowed seven goals. Philip Gustafson has played three games and has allowed only six he has a 941 save percentage to Marc-Andre Fleury's 774. Philip Gustafson had an incredible season. I think if he played more games, he'd be higher up on some people's Vesna ballots. 
but you have to ride with Gustafson for the rest of the series and probably the rest of the playoffs. He's been phenomenal for Minnesota. And that matchup of Gustafson-Ottinger, like I said before, mm, the best. Fantastic. It's, it's given us such great hockey. It's been a great series to watch, and I think they really do need to ride with Gustafson. You cannot go with Fleury at this point unless something happens to Gustafson. Then I, I would be like, yeah, trust Fleury over your third goalie, but not over a guy who's probably should finish in top five in Vezina balloting. Now, like I said, not a lot to talk about Penguin-wise. Very quiet week. I think the uh, ownership and the uh, the leadership group that we have right now, <clears throat> whoever that is, is uh, taking their time. So not a lot of news has leaked out, you know. Uh, and I, I can't even talk about my you know my man crush uh, Jeremy Swayman, who uh, I want to be a Penguin in the worst way because my God, he's the best goalie that's going to be available this off season. I've talked about him so much just because I think so highly of him. He's a fantastic goalie. He hasn't seen any playoff ice, so I can't talk much about him. There was rumors that he would start game one over Olmark because Olmark was uh, sick, but to no avail. So not a ton to talk about. We're already 28 minutes in, so some just a little fun activity I thought about. It's more of an off-season thing to do than uh, anything, but I do want to get it done before they announce these awards. I want to do some award predictions. Because I don't know if I'm going to have time to for the remainder of the uh, the playoffs because I assume that news is going to pick up here with the Penguins and their search. So why not now? Now is a perfect time to make my own award predictions. And if I was given a vote in these awards, who would I give it to? Um, starting off, I'm, I'm sure I'm biased in this one, but I also think it's an easy choice for the Masterton the you know comeback player the one who the player who showed the most perseverance all that stuff it's it should be Chris Letang like it shouldn't be a competition or like it shouldn't be a conversation it's Chris Letang the man had one of the toughest personal seasons on, on record I can't think of many harder ones other than like Bill Masterton himself I'm sure there there are some players you know who have battled some uh, crazy things you know cancer and whatnot um, but or even like family members suffer. Like I know Craig Anderson, uh, his I think his wife suffered through cancer during a season, and he came back. You know that was obviously outstanding. But I think Chris, what Crystal Tang suffered this season, and the way he was able to come back so quickly and play to such a high level, especially whenever Peng- the Penguins had defenders that were out, he played a half hour for like over a month straight every game, because I just out of necessity. He came back from a stroke, missed like a month and hit the ground running, came back, lost his father and the team obviously did everything they could to support him. But he came back, didn't miss a much time, came back and played when the penguins needed him to. I I'm giving the master to crystal Tang. If I had a vote, I know he's the penguins uh, or the Pittsburgh hockey writers nominee. I think uh, he should win the trophy altogether, but we'll see. Now the more performance-based uh, trophies, you know, all-encompassing. Let's start with the big one, the heart, the most valuable player. I don't think it's going to much of a conversation. It is Connor McDavid. He had the best offensive season in like over three decades, over 150 points. It's so rarely been done. The players that we hold in such high regard that are still playing and have had and our future Hall of Famers like Crosby and Ovechkin haven't even sniffed 150. 
I know I talked about it before, but that season that Crosby was having before he got injured at the Winter Classic, I think his pace was somewhere around like 130, 140. Would that have been sustainable? That's one of the biggest what-ifs in Penguins history. We don't know. But McDavid had the best season since Lemieux, I believe. Iserman, one of those ones, one of those seasons. I think it was 95. Um, Yeah, he's the MVP. The biggest debate with the uh, Hart Trophy is who's going to be second. There's a lot of names that have been thrown out there. David Posternock's been one. I know Matthew Kachuk has been one. Uh, Could Allmark be on there? He's had a good season. You know, players like that. My number two is one I think a lot of people are overlooking, but I don't know why. He's one of the best players and has been for about a decade now. Nathan McKinnon. Nathan McKinnon has single-handedly, uh, he single-handedly willed them to the playoffs through all those offensive forward injuries that they've had this season. I mean, I think Miko Rantanen's been a huge part of that as well. But Nathan McKinnon missed, a t- missed like 20 games. And he still finished, I think, top six in scoring in the league, something like that. I want to. I'm going to double check that just to make sure. I don't want to sound like an idiot here, but I know his pace would have uh, second in the NHL. So if he would have played the entire season at that pace that he was playing at, he would have been uh, second. Yeah, he had 111 points in I believe 60 some odd games. Let's take a look here. 71. Sorry, 71 games. Um, I believe his pace would have been good enough to be second, if not third. And the only person that was ahead of him was McDavid, and possibly Dreisaitl may have been ahead of him too. Um, which, yeah, I mean, of course, those two. I mean, they, they play together on a power play for crying out loud. Like, yeah, they're gonna. They're, if, if one of them's getting points, the other one's gonna get points too. We know that. But Nathan McKinnon's been fan, been fantastic. Even when Kale McCarr he missed some time, uh, McKinnon stepped up. He had such a good season this year and he's hasn't really been given a lot of heart love in the uh, in years past. I think this would have been a great season for him to be in in that consideration. Unfortunately, uh the other Mac, uh, Mick Mac whatever uh in up in Edmonton, he had other plans and decided to have the best season on in, in this side of uh 2000. So I think McKinnon could definitely be in that conversation. If I had a vote, he would be my my second choice. And my I'm only going to do the top three for all these. I don't want to go through like top five or whatever. My third place vote would go to Matthew Kachuk. I know I talked about it in the uh, in the review of what's happened so far in that Boston Florida series. Matthew Kachuk has been fantastic. He led the team, I believe, in goals and assists, points, penalty minutes. He is. He's he is a leader. He sh- I know Barkov is the captain, uh, but like on the ice, there is no one who has a bigger impact than uh, like on that Florida Panthers team than Matthew Kachuk. I think the way he performed down the stretch willed them into a playoff spot. Obviously, it helped with uh, how good Alex Lyon was playing and everything. But Matthew Kachuk is the offensive play driver that they need. Unfortunately, they you know they they look worse than they did the the year before. They won the President's Trophy last year. This time, they were the last team to sneak in. So, I, I don't I don't put that as much on him. I think without him, I think this team would look a lot worse. If you undo that trade, maybe the teams both teams I think look better, both Calgary and Florida this year. But with the circumstances we have right now, 
I think if you're looking at individual impact and value to their team, Matthew Kachuk is third. I think McDavid uh, is obviously first. McKinnon is second just because, like I said, he overcame a lot, a lot of other injuries on his team, a lot of injuries from himself. He played fantastic. He's my second, and I give Kachuk my third. Excuse me. Now, the one that I'm sure everyone will be able to agree upon, the Norris. Just kidding. There have been a lot of names thrown around for the Norris. There doesn't even seem to be a consensus top three. I think there's probably a consensus top five. But, I mean, I, the guy who I have at number one, I think a lot of people may like completely take off their list just because people view this trophy in so vastly different ways. I'm, I'm ready for the boos, and you can boo me till the sun don't shine. Eric Carlson should win the Norris. 100-point season for a defenseman. 101 points in 82 games. I know he was a minus 26. I know he's a defensive liability. I don't care. 100 points for a defenseman, a feat that hasn't been done in decades, I believe. Uh, I know Roman Yossi was close to it last year, but he didn't. He wasn't able to get there. Eric Carlson, in just the resurgence, he had 25 goals from a defender, 76 assists, 101 points. He is He had such an amazing year. I don't care about his defensive lapses. When someone does something that's so extraordinary as 100, uh, over 100 points from the blue line, you get the Norris. I don't care. And I, I just think also the story of it all, the fact that he came back from being injured. He came back from being you know, underwhelming the past few years. I think Brent Burns being traded away and uh, Eric Carlson having to you know man the power play full-time was the best thing that could have happened for Eric Carlson's career. And probably Brent Burns too, because Burns has had a really good year in Carolina. He might get some consideration too for the Norris. Not in my ballot, but I think overall he could get some votes. Eric Carlson should win the Norris. I don't care. Like I said, defensive lapses, I get it. That Maybe there should be two different trophies for the Norris. I, I'd hear that conversation, sure. But getting 101 points on that Sharks team, yeah. Give the man two Norrises for his efforts. Jesus. Speaking of two, my number two on my ballot is Josh Morrissey. He had a breakout season for the Winnipeg Jets. He, uh, I don't know if he led the team in points. I don't believe, I don't think Shifley did. I believe, I believe Morrissey was second. But almost a point a game. I think it was 74 points. He had a great season. Really broke out. Like, was not an offensive factor at all. all he, like, all his career but really, really became a household name this year. And I think more than anything, I know the, the voting shouldn't be based on playoffs. I think for the rest of the series, if you watch that Winnipeg-Vegas series, you're going to realize how much Winnipeg misses Josh Morrissey. And I think that, I don't think that should go into consideration necessarily, but I think it's going to reaffirm that people should have voted for Morrissey. He is very valuable to that Winnipeg uh, team. He's huge on that blue line. Without him, uh, I don't think they make the playoffs at all. Uh, but yeah, Morrissey had a great year. He's my number two. And number three, another guy I think a lot of people are going to look over, Dougie Hamilton. Dougie Hamilton had a great year. And I, I'm i going to see if I can find his numbers here because I don't have them offhand. Let's see if I can find them. Dougie Hamilton stats. Um, he had a fantastic season and... Maybe I feel this way because I get to watch him a lot, being a Penguin fan, and he, you know, obviously he plays for New Jersey. But he is a killer 
of the Pittsburgh Penguins. He had his best season uh, of his career this year with 74 points in 82 games, just eight shy of the point-a-game plateau. He, I think, has the best one-timer other than maybe Ovechkin. I think he's he's very... And he has gotten a lot more defensively responsible in his career as well. He's been the go-to guy on that blue line for the New Jersey Devils. Their their blue line moving forward looks crazy. With him, Luke Hughes, Simon Nemich, I'm sure there's names I'm missing, John Marino, they're going to be set on the blue line for a long time. With him at the forefront, he had a great season. He was great in Carolina too. It's, it's insane to me how much he's bounced around considering how good of a player he is. I think he really solidified himself this year. I think he should get Norris conversations, Norris votes. Don't think he's going to win it. I think the winner, I, I don't just want Carlson to be the winner. I think he is going to be the winner. I think people are going to look past the, his defensive you know, faults and vote for him. But Morrissey is going to be my number two right behind Carlson. And then Hamilton's in that conversation as well. Just a great year for Dougie Hamilton. The Vesna has gotten way too much conversation, in my opinion. I think number one is a no-brainer. People are trying to galaxy brain this. It's it it is Linus Olmark. Okay? He led every major stat for goaltending, including goals. He got a goal, man. Who I, I'm gonna have to look back. Is there a goalie ever who has won the Vesna and got a goalie goal in the same season? He should be one of them. I think he's gonna be. I he I don't see a path where they don't give Linus Olmark the Vesna. Like I said, he could arguably get Hart Trophy consideration with how good he played this year. I think the team in front of him was fantastic, don't get me wrong. But Vesna obviously it should be team impact. I think that's that's a huge thing. How much are you like positively impacting your team? But at the same time, look at the numbers. The numbers are insane. And that's kind of what goes into my number two pick. I don't think this person is has nearly enough to dethrone Allmark, but I would give my number two vote to kind of torn between two and uh, two and three between these two. But I, for, for the sake of it, I already wrote it down. Philip Gustafson of the Minnesota Wild didn't play as many games, and I think that's going to hurt him in the voting. So he may not even get top three on a lot of people's ballots. But his numbers are insane: a sub two, I believe, goals against in a in a very good save percentage. He's the goalie of the future there. Another Penguin draft pick that makes me grit my teeth because we traded him for Derek Broussard. But nonetheless, he's had a great year. He's had a great first couple playoff games. He, in my opinion, is my number two Vesna. I think in the future he may get even more Vesna consideration. I may have him a little too high. I'm kind of torn between him and this number three. But not, I, for the sake of it, I'm sticking with it. Gustafson's my number two. And my number three, who, I, who could be second, Connor Hellebuck. Him and Josh Morrissey, collectively, are the reasons that the Winnipeg Jets are in the playoffs at all. He, I, I think he has a Vesna in his career. I'm pretty certain, but this was probably one of his one. This was either his best or his second best uh, season of his career. Let's see if I can find his uh, hockey reference. Shout out hockey reference. Oh, cool, my internet's down. All right, so I can't. Um, Okay, whatever. But yeah, Connor Hellebuck had a great season this year. Very, very, very valuable to that Winnipeg team. They they cannot afford to uh, if if they had a, a replacement level goalie or a regular like a, just a good starter, they would have missed the playoffs. 
Connor Hellbuck stole games for them this year. He is my third place Vesna vote. Could be second, but I'm keeping him at third. Two more to go, and then we'll wrap things up here. <clears throat> Calder. This is a weird one. It wasn't a really huge year for rookies, but I'm going to just give you my one, two, three right off the top here. I have Maddie Beniers winning it. I, I think he had the you know most impact of any uh, rookie. Offensively, he was uh, he's he's going to be great down the middle for the Seattle Kraken moving forward. A duo of him and Shane Wright is going to look crazy good. It's crazy to think that the Kraken are doing all this without Shane Wright, who they'll probably have next year. But nonetheless, he's been great. He's going to win it, in my opinion. Two and three, I, I have goalies. I have Stuart Skinner and two, Logan Thompson at three. I think both of those guys saved the season for their respective teams. I know Logan Thompson missed a lot of time at the end, so he didn't... I don't even think he... He might not even qualify. He only played, I think, like 36 games, something around that. Stuart Skinner, whenever Jack Campbell was playing terrible, he came in and saved the Edmonton Oilers season. Obviously, he had a good offense in front of him, but they they haven't always had the best defense. Stuart Skinner, I think, had a 9-14 this year, which is well above average. Logan Thompson was right around that mark as well in the games he played. Those two, I think, are low-key getting uh, not enough respect in the Calder conversation. I've seen names like McTavish mentioned. He had a fine season. Not spectacular, in my opinion. Owen Power is one of those guys who people have talked about. I think he's probably going to have the best career out of this crop of rookies. But and I, th- I think I think Elliot Friedman's mentioned that as, as well. But if you're going off of just seasons that they had, their rookie seasons, Matty Beniers had the best. And I think those two, uh, both Skinner and Thompson, are right there behind behind Beniers in the just sheer impact they've had on their team. And both all those uh, teams made the playoffs. You know, uh, Seattle, Edmonton, and Vegas. But Edmonton and Vegas really wouldn't be there, in my opinions, without the performance of Skinner and Thompson. On the coach of the year, Jack Adams, I have Jim Montgomery winning, Lindy Ruff gets my second place vote, and Dave Haxtall gets my third. More often than not, this is, whoa, you guys made the playoffs, and we didn't think you were going to make the playoffs. Boston was going to probably make the playoffs no matter what. Uh, they were a playoff team last year. I don't. I think you could put a dog uh, on the uh, on the head coach spot, but and they'll still make the playoffs. But how historic and how incredible of a year that they had, I give it to. I you got to give it to Jim Montgomery. I think Lindy Ruff and Dave Haxtall both uh, helped their teams reach the next level and elevated them. Better, almost like you know one of those the better than the sum of their parts thing. I think they got more out of them than other coaches got out of their teams. So I give Lindy Ruff his second, uh, the second place vote. Dave Haxtell, I'm going to give the third place vote to. Probably interchange those. But in my opinion, first place is Montgomery. It's his trophy to lose. I'd be really surprised if he doesn't win. People, and that's another one. I think if he loses, people are galaxy braining it too much. They deserve it. They deserve their recognition. But Jim Montgomery gets the trophy. Come on, let's be real. So to summarize, MVP Hart Trophy, I give to Connor McDavid with McKinnon and Kachuk behind. Defenseman of the Year, James Norris Trophy, I give to Eric Carlson with second place, uh, Josh Morrissey of Winnipeg. And third place, Dougie Hamilton of the New Jersey Devils. On the Vesna Goalie of the Year side of things, Lena Solmark of the Boston Bruins wins it for me. Second place, Philip Gustafson of Minnesota. And third place, Connor Hellebuck of Winnipeg. 
Rookie of the Year, the Calder Trophy, I give first place to Seattle Kraken centerman Matty Beniers. Second place, I give to Edmonton Oilers goalie Stuart Skinner. Third place, I give to Vegas Golden Knights goalie Logan Thompson. Honestly, you could probably interchange Skinner or Thompson, but I'm sticking with what I said. The Jack Adams Coach of the Year. Number one, I give to Boston Bruins head coach Jim Montgomery. Number two, I give to New Jersey Devils head coach Lindy Ruff. And third place, I'm going to give to Dave Hackstall of the Seattle Kraken. Those are my awards. Not much to talk about uh, for the Penguins, like I said, because they're none of, no one's going to win an award for them other than maybe, like I said, the Masterton. I still think it is uh, Connor, not Connor, jeez. I still think it's Crystal Tang's trophy to lose. He's going to win it, in my opinion. I'd, I'd be really shocked if he doesn't win it. So so there, yeah, the Penguins may, prob- will, pro- will probably have a, an award winner. Just none of the awards they want. They all want the Stanley Cup but they're not going to get it this year. I think I'm going to wrap it up there. Um, hopefully next week we have more Penguin-specific stuff to talk about. Hopefully it would be nice if I can have someone on to, to uh, discuss things with. This one was another solo episode, so I appreciate you hanging around. Um, please follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, at pens underscore cast. We are available on all of the pod uh, you know, listening apps that are out there, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Uh, Castbox, I think, is one of them. I know iHeart is one of them as well. Uh, Amazon, Google, all of them. I'm there. You can find me. You can find the Penscast, and or you can follow me, my personal account. You can follow on Instagram and Twitter at uh, Lucas Wester. Exactly how it sounds, opposite of Easter. Um, yeah, we're gonna leave that there. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time.